0: It's good to be here tonight, and I apologize for Brother Chris in advance. Uh, Myself and Brother James like to say, God called an audible on us this evening as we were in prayer. And, And our thoughts and our scriptures have changed, so I apologize, Brother Chris, but I'm more worried about messing up with him than I am you and uh, so we're just going to follow him tonight. And uh, We're reading the 107th Psalm in the ninth verse. And it says, for he satisfies," speaking of God, "satisfies the longing soul. That longing means desiring and fulfills and filleth with the hungry soul with goodness. Are you desiring tonight, longing, wanting, hungry to be in the presence of God tonight? Are you wanting it more than anything in this life? Are you willing to sacrifice everything that you have right now just to be at the feet of Jesus? If you are, you'll find satisfaction. If you're not, you won't. He said he finds uh, the one that finds satisfaction is that one that longs and desires to be there. I believe we're right on the edge of the promise of revival, but it's going to take us getting over the hump. It's Wednesday, isn't it? It's halfway through the week. What are we going to do? Are we going to step out onto the battlefield? Or are we just going to say, well, we're halfway through the week? Are you desiring to be with God tonight? Are you desiring... To fill his presence are you desiring uh, to be uh, in the the multitude of God's people right before that verse uh, it reads here it says oh the men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men do we not remember uh, who we are and where we came from and what he has done for us Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works towards us and what He has done for us. Undeserving wretched sinners that we are, He still loved us enough to find and give us forgiveness. Oh, satisfaction's only found in the Lord. Only found in the Lord. The world's looking for satisfaction everywhere. Aren't they? In the world that we live in, instead uh, they're, they're looking for satisfaction in sin. As a, a Hebrew writer says there uh, with Moses, uh, that he could have found pleasure in sin for a short season, but he chose the body or the, the I can't remember it to quote it exactly, but in other words, he could have went out and, and been in sin and he would have found pleasure in it. But just for a short season. Do you understand sin's an addiction tonight? Sin's an addiction. If you go and talk to someone that's addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs or even addicted to tobacco, I was there, I know what it's like to be addicted to that tobacco. I understand what they mean by addiction and sin's an addiction because you go get what you want and you're satisfied for just a little while. And then once that satisfaction wears off, you got to go get another one. And then once that satisfaction wears off, you've got to get another one till your body becomes uh, used to it. And then next thing you know, you got to move up to something bigger and something harder. And it becomes uh, more effective in your life. And it, and it starts tearing you apart from the inside out. And that's exactly what sin is. It's an addiction tonight. If you're here and lost, so I want you to understand you're a prisoner of sin. You're addicted to it. And there's only pleasure found in it for a short period of time. It's a high. That's what it is. The world that we live in today, if I offend anybody, I'm not going to apologize. They're out celebrating Pride Month. What does the Bible talk about pride? It says pride cometh before destruction. Period. If we don't uh, go into uh, all the laws and everything else that goes against what they're representing, just that one scripture tells you right there, it's wrong. Why well, is our country in the position it's in? Pride. It's bringing destruction. It's time that we quit trying to find the little satisfactions here and there and we go to the one that can give us full satisfaction. That we uh, quit, as Brother Derek said, being afraid and we get brave and we move on and move out into the battlefield. I ask you Sunday night if you're ready to fight. Are you ready to fight? I don't mean just a little tuffle here and there. I mean, are you ready to fight? Because if you want to find true satisfaction, it's going to take a fight because sin is everywhere around us. But doesn't God promise us something? Doesn't He promise us something about this sin that abounds everywhere? He said, where sin abounds, grace does much more about that unmerited favor, that helping hand of God, that unseen hand that we spoke about, that understands and knows, that makes us know that God is real that we can find pure satisfaction. I'm not talking about something that's here today and gone tomorrow. Do you understand when God saved my soul, He satisfied that longing and desire for salvation. Deliverance was satisfied that day that He spoke peace to my heart. When I prayed through, He satisfied that. I haven't asked for salvation again in my life. I've had to go back to the Lord and do some repenting. If you're here today, and you're one of God's children, and you're out in this sin, I'm just going to be blunt with you. If you're out in this sin, the Bible says that He is just and faithful. Forgive us, but first you must come to Him. If we're going to live a life of sin during the day, and come in here at 7 o'clock and expect God to be with us, we're stupid. That's just blunt. But that's the facts. We can't serve two masters for we'll love the one and hate the other. It doesn't mean that we are going to be perfect, but what it does mean we are to strive for the perfection of Christ. It doesn't mean we've got an excuse to go out and do whatever we want, but it does mean that we are to strive, work, labor, fight for the honor and glory of God. You can go out in this world and you can find pleasure in sin. I'm going to be honest with you, you can. It's going to be for a short season. And if you're truly a child of God, the Bible tells me that he'll chastise those that he loves. And you will find this pleasure for sin and this sin for a little while. And then uh, God will uh, bring it to you in a way that only God can and you realize the chastising hand of God and then you're going to wonder, what did I do? It's already too late. You've done it. Now what do you do with it? You see, you've got two choices. You can either own up to it, or you continue to run from it. God's children, we got the same choice as a lost soul tonight. If we feel the drawing power of God, if we feel like uh, that, that godly sorrow that sets up in our heart that understands that we have broken God's law and that we need to make things right with him in order to find that satisfaction in him, in order to uh, restore the joy of my salvation, in order to ignite that fire, in order to get busy and work for the Lord, we need to get busy. Time is running out. Sin is running rapid, and our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our, our coworkers are all dying in sin. And we're sitting in a comfortable air-conditioned church with pukes, padded pews. How concerned are we about the lost tonight? Brother really, Chris this is far from where I was going earlier, but how concerned are we about the lost here tonight? Are we like the children of Israel there when they were coming up on uh, the the promised land there and they sent 12 spies in? The 12 spies went in. Have you been sending your spies out this week? 12 spies went in and they seen great things. God promised them a land that flows with milk and honey, a place where they could take care of themselves and raise a family and be provided with all they needed. They sent the 12 spies in, one from each tribe come across a cluster of grapes. Now how much do we need to be convinced that God is real and his promises are real? They come across a cluster of grapes that took two men on a pole to carry. Now I don't know about you, but I've never seen a cluster of grapes that big. But God had promised him a land that floweth with milk and honey. And he showed despise that it was there. But there are some other things in there. Remember where sin abound? Grace does much more abound? Well, they seen the giants. They said, we look as grasshoppers in their sight. We have no, no hope within there. Oh, but here they come as they were saying that with this cluster of grapes. God's children, aren't we like that today? God's showing us his goodness, but at the same time, Lord, we're as grasshoppers in their sight. How can we go out there? You promised this, but I, I just don't know about it. I just don't know about it. You're gonna, we're gonna die if we go over there. Do you ever feel like that serving God? Sometimes, Lord, I don't know if I can go any farther. It's getting scary now. Oh, it's getting scary. I might, I might, I might ruffle some feathers. The Lord, it's getting scary. I might upset someone when I tell them about this man named Jesus. But Lord, listen to me, what, what he done there. He showed them his goodness by showing him that cluster of grace as they came through there and as they done these things and they seen these things, but yet they seen everything else that was around Him. Doesn't that sound like us today? God's goodness. These little ones have been seeking this week. Do you understand that's God's goodness? That's his mercy? And that should in, ignite a fire in us here in this church and outside of this church that we want to do nothing but uphold the name of God in a lost and dying world. That should ignite a fire in us. We've seen the fruits of God working among us. We see lost souls seeking after Him. And that should that should ignite a fire in us. Just as that one cluster of grapes should have ignited a fire in the children of Israel there. Because it should have brought back to their remembrance what God had promised them. Do you believe here tonight that God has promised His children if we get in the condition that we need to be in, that He would give us revival? Do you understand? We're right at the edge of that. We're right at the edge of that promise. What are we going to do with it? Revival's scary. Do you know that? True revival is scary. Why is it so scary? Why is true revival scary? Because if true revival happens, we're going to go out in the world and we're going to tell them about Jesus. If true revival happens, we're going to go out in this world and tell them about a hell to shut. If true revival happens, we're going to tell a lost and dying world that if they don't change and turn to God, then they are going to die and go to this hell. If true revival comes, we're going to go outside these walls and we're going to shout the praises of God in the parking lots. We're going to go to work the next day and we're going to go to the biggest, most tattooed person around there. We're going to say, hey you! Do you understand what salvation is? There's a man that I work with. And if Ron's watching this tonight, he can he can vouch. This man has two tattoos on his arms. One says no master, the other one says no God. I've told him multiple times, I pray by the time you leave this place, you understand there's one master and one God. I know Brother Ron's talked to him often about this situation, but you know what? Maybe we need to go to the scarier places. Do you realize that Jesus Christ died for the whole entire world? Do we realize that tonight? Not just for the ones that we can get into the church, but what he tells them there in the parable of the marriage. (laughs) He said, go out to the highways and the hedges, compel even the ones that aren't so good to come in. Talk with them. You see, that's what true revival brings. True revival brings a desiring to see souls saved no matter what it costs. True revival will bring a a, a reviving into our heart that we'll be more Christ-like and less Scott-like. There's a song out now that I want to be a little bit less like me and more like him. I want to be a lot less like me and all like him. That should be our desire. That should should be what we want. Caleb tried to tell him we can go in and do this. We can take the land. I'm here to tell you tonight, we can have true revival if you truly want true revival. We can have it. How do I know that? God's promised it. He's promised it to His people. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He's promised to be in our midst. He's promised to be walking around the golden candlesticks there. He's promised to be there with us. I guess my question tonight is how bad do we want it? How bad do we want it tonight? Are we willing? Are we willing to suffer for Christ? Are we willing to suffer that these lost souls that are among us might see Christ manifested in our lives? Are we willing to be made fun of? Are we look, willing to be looked at with a funny look? Are we a bit li- willing to be told to get away? Are we willing to be told, I'd rather see you dead? Are we willing to have people say you'd be better off without your head? What are you willing to do tonight? For Christ was willing to go to the cross for you. What are you willing to do for Him? Are you willing to go into what he has promises. We're right on the edge. I truly believe we're right on the edge. Churches, a lot of times during revivals, we get right to the edge of the promise. Then we stop. We start seeing things that, that makes us question what we're doing. We start seeing things. Our bodies start getting tired and we start thinking we can't do this anymore. We're not good enough to do this. We can't do this. Well, you're right. We're not good enough to do it, but there's one that's in me. He's in me. He's part of me. He wants to come out. I told my wife tonight, when she got home from work, I had a a bright, I mean a bright highlighter yellow shirt on. I did. And she looked at me and laughed and said, you ought to wear that tonight. I'd have got your attention if I did. And I told her, I said, that's funny she said that because I had a thought of wearing that under my white shirt. And I guarantee you would have seen it just shine. But you know that's what it should be in our lives? That's what it should be. That inward man should shine out so much that the shirt or the body could not cover it and hide it. But it should shine and people will look at it and people will make fun of it. Oh, I'm sure if people see me walking down that street in that bright yellow shirt, they're going to make fun of me whether they do it to my face or not. And I don't blame them. But you understand that will happen to us when we uphold the living Savior? You know how I know that? It's because they've done it to Him. they done it to Him. And He has promises His word. He said, you'll be hated for my name's sake. It's not going to be an easy road. He said, but I'm telling you right now, if you just follow me, it'll be worth it all. <laughs> it'll be worth it all. Heard a song this afternoon on the on the headphones when I was at work. I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now. Has your journey been so great you wouldn't take nothing for it? I got to thinking about that after I heard that. And I thought, well, what would I give for my journey? How important is my journey to me? What's the Bible say? What would a man give in exchange for his soul? My soul saved, but how important is my journey? What's so important about this journey? It's important that people see the journey. Not that we'll be honored and glorified, but what he tells us there in Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to turn there so I don't misquote it, but we are just studying it there Wednesday night on, on fellowship. There's a reason that they need to see our light, and it wasn't for our honor and our glory. Pastor, don't get mad at me. I'm almost there. He said, "Ye are the light of the world. A city that's head on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under the bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Why is it so important for our journey to be on the straight and narrow path that they would see our works and they would glorify our Father which is in heaven. They would know that there is something different, that we are a peculiar, called out people, that we are His. I dare you to be different. I dare you to be different. I was joking around, with Brother Micah, earlier when he came in. I, he, last time I seen him, he had a full beard. And now he doesn't. He's different. And he looked different to me. I seen him on Facebook, and I didn't realize exactly who he was, so I heard his voice, and I knew it was him. He looked different. And you know, people, we need to look different. We need to be different. We need to be different in our services. We need to be different in the world. We need to be different. We don't need to be as the big victory church down the road here. We need to be as God's called out assembly. And they need to see that. They need to see that not only in our altar service, but in our praise service, our worship to God, what we desire, what we want, what He would have of us, our willingness to follow Him, are you willing to follow him tonight? Hmm? If God's called you to preach, and I don't know anybody's heart, but if he's called you to preach and you're not doing it, God have mercy on your soul. God have mercy on you. Been there. Done that. Understand. But I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else behind beside this, this desk. If God's placed a song on your heart, sis, I appreciate your willingness tonight to sing. If God's placed a song on your heart and you don't do it, God have mercy on you tonight. Oh, the scripture says God's mercy will endure forever, and it will. But don't take advantage of it. Don't take advantage of it because He's a just God. And sometimes justice prevails over mercy. His chastising hand comes upon his, us. And and this is just commentary according to Scott. You can take it or leave it. I believe the churches have been under the chastising hand of God for a while now. And we need to get out of it. And the only way to get out of it is to come to the Father. That's it. He tells us in First John. Let me turn there. I apologize. My mind's going 100 miles an hour right now. But in First John chapter one verse eight, he says, "If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have no sin, so if you're a, uh, one of these that are holier than I." If you're saying, I would never be caught dead doing that, I don't care if you have no sin. If you say that you deceived yourself, what is sin? Let's just knock it down real quick. What is sin? James tells us, he that knoweth to do good and doeth not, to him is a sin. So you don't have to go out and commit murder to be a sinner, do you? You don't have to go out and uh, commit adultery to be a sinner, do you? He who knoweth to do good and doeth not. If God has placed something on your heart and you do it not, guess what? You have sinned. And this altar is open. It's open for any that would like to come and pray. As far as I know, I've got faith in this church. I've got faith and faith that this altar is always open. And if you needed to in the middle of the night, I know you could call one of my in here and they would come open the door that you could get to this altar if you needed to. Why is it so important? Why is it so important that we find that altar? Because if we say we have no sin, we've already deceived ourselves. And what happens when we do that? Look around our churches. You see what happens. Why revival is so important is to get us out of the slump and make us realize and understand where we are in the sight of God. It's to bring us back. Into him is to revive the church. To make alive once again. To bring life back in. I don't know your heart tonight. The only thing I know is I've got to do what I've got to do. Or I've got to go home with it. And again. I'd rather you be upset with me. Than the Lord. I would. I love each and every one here tonight. But when the bottom line comes down to it. I'm answering to him. I'll go home and some of you I might not ever see again in my life. But I see him all the time. Maybe not with these eyes. Oh, but he's always in our presence. Remember what we said last night? When you don't know where else to turn, guess what? There's Jesus. Even when you're not where you should be, there is. Is Jesus. He goes on in that, that first chapter, that eighth uh, first chapter and the eighth verse, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He said, if we confess our sins. Now listen to what he's saying here. He's not talking about setting up a little confessional with the priest or the preacher. He's not talking about the deacons taking a counsel of people in the back and talking to them about their sins. He's not talking about the, the ordained men coming together and, and going for confession. But he says there's a strict path that we must follow in this confession in order to find relief. He said if we confess our sin, he, so who are we confessing to? God the Father himself. How do we do that? Timothy tells us there's only one mediator between God and man and that is the man Christ Jesus there's no other way. So you cannot go to a priest and confess your sins and be forgiven. You can go to the great high priest, which is Jesus Christ. And he'll mediate on your behalf. He'll be that advocate. He'll be the one that, that presents your case in front of the Father. But you are going to have to go the right way to find it. But he says, if we confess our sins, he is just faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Nothing else can do that. But he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we live a holier than thou life out in this world, they see us in a whole different light than what they should be seeing. We should be a humble people. That's something that's not taught in the world today, is it? Humility? We just got done talking about pride. That's what's taught. But we should be a humble people. A humble people. In the book of James, and I'll try to close here in just a second. But in the book of James, chapter 4, he tells us the formula of finding him tells us, James chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Submit yourself, therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So first of all, the first thing we must do is become under submission unto God. Have you done that today? Have you come under total submission under God? If you have, if you say you have, and he has something for you to do here tonight, and you don't do it, you have not totally submitted unto God. Submission means you are totally giving your all over to Him. And you are obeying His voice with everything that He says. You are obeying His leadership and His guidance in the service and whatever He would have for us to do here tonight. He said, Submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and He'll flee from you. He says, Draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. Have you drawn near to Him today? Have you reached out to Him? He said i'll meet you i'll meet you if you just reach out to me then he starts getting to where we don't like cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts have you done that today if you haven't done the first part i guarantee you haven't done the middle part because we won't see ourselves as we are, and our sins are before him, we won't see that until we get to that submission mark. Once we get to that submission mark, we draw near, we cleanse your hands, ye you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. How do you do this? You humble yourself in the sight of God. When we do that, God has promised us something. You see, we're right on the edge of that promise. He has promised us something. He has given us the formula to praise Him, to show the world that, that there's something different in us. And how do we do that? We've got to get close to Him. How do we get close to Him? we got to come in submission to Him. How do we do that? We cleanse our hearts. We, we uh, cleanse our hands and purify our hearts through repentance towards Him to, to remove the sin out of our life. You can't remove it out of your life, by the way. You know that? You can't. I've tried it. But you know what? I know more I got out of the prayer of telling God how I was going to do it than I got off my knees and started walking. You know what was ever present with me? That sin. I told God I laid it down at His feet, but by the time I got off my knees and started walking, I already picked it back up. You can't get rid of it. That's why He tells us that he is just and faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It has to come from him. He says, humble yourself in the side of the Lord and he shall lift you up. We are this close, this close to true revival. Let us not be afraid. Let us not be scared. We said Sunday night that revival is for the church. And I still believe that with all my heart. It's in the position that the church is getting in to the condition to be able to, to work and to labor that lost souls would see that Christ is real and that it's through and by the means of Jesus Christ that we are saved. But the church must, must get over the hump. The church must get to that point uh, to where they aren't afraid anymore. I believe as Joshua told children of Israel there, if God delights in us, He will give us the land. If God is happy with us, delights in us, we can find true revival here tonight. And when we do, I'm telling you right now, when God's children find true revival, lost souls will not be able to sit in the midst of it. They will either run away or they'll run to him. You know why they're not running right now? Where's the fire? Where's the zeal? Where's that longing soul the satisfa- looking for the satisfaction of the Lord? The hungering to be in his presence. Where is it? Where is it? If we believe this book to be true, it is said, in many different forms and fashions that a lost soul cannot sit in the midst of God's children that are on fire. They'll either run from them or they'll run to God. So, have we made it over the hump or are we still going to stand at the edge of the border and wander around another 40 years until we finally, the next generation, makes it into the promised land. Are we going to see true revival begin here tonight? Or are we going to wander around in a solitary way as 107th Psalm says? Looking. Never satisfied. Always looking. Should have, would have, could have. Some of the worst words I've ever heard. Should have, would have, could have. Could be right now. And we wouldn't have to sit back a week from now, I say, man, we should have done this different. If we should have, we would have done this. If we would have done this, we could have seen this. Oh, if we could have seen this, lost souls would have been saved. I'm not telling you you can save a soul. But I am telling you, you can point them in the direction of the one that can. And actions speak a lot louder than words. A lot louder than words. And that's, that's hard. I'm loud, aren't I? But your actions can speak louder than me. My actions can speak louder. We need to be found in the center of God's will. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a member of this church. You need to be found in the center of God's will. And what better night than tonight, right now, this very moment, to realize what God has done for us, And understand it's the same God that saved our soul is the same God that's on the throne today. Some of us have been saved a long time. Sister Betty's been saved a long time. My dad's been saved a long time. They're in their 80s, almost 90s. Been saved a long time. But I'm telling you, the God that saved their soul back then is the same God that's on the throne today and still wanting to be a part of their lives today. He hasn't changed. So the same power that saved my soul at 11 years old is the same power that has to be shown here tonight. Are you willing to do that? The Bible teaches us that we need to be a willing vessel. What are we a vessel of? or a vessel of the gospel. We ought to be willing to carry that wherever we must go. Are you willing tonight I'm going to tell you again, the ball is getting ready to get thrown back in your court. Revival is not just for the preacher. It's not. I'll say, I said it Sunday night, I believe. You called me to help. I am here to help and assist in any way, form, or fashion that I can. But true revival will come when God's children come together as one. In one mind, in one accord, looking for the satisfaction of the Lord, longing for it, desiring for it, wanting it more than anything in this world. That's where we'll find it. That's where we'll find it. So tonight, are you willing to go the extra mile to get over the, the border of the promise into the actual promise? You know, when they got into the promised land, and I'll close with this. They got into the promised land, and it wasn't easy once they got in there. It wasn't easy. They still had battles. They still had wars. They learned the hard way when they are sinning the camp, get it out of the camp before you go into battle. They learned the hard way on some things. They learned that God does things his way. I can't imagine what Josh, how Joshua must have felt to pull all the elders together and say, we're going to march around the walls of Jericho and they're going to fall down. Sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? But God does it his way to get honor and glory to him. So tonight, if God lays something on your heart that might sound a little bit crazy, and nothing against the church, but when I got the call you called me, I thought they're crazy. So, I already know you got a little bit in you. So, if you God lays something on your heart that, that might even seem a little crazy, God still expects you to follow it. To the letter. Exactly how He presented it to you. I wouldn't have ever thought about building an ark in the middle of nowhere. And I hadn't ever seen it rain. But He has specific details. In a blueprint, and what to do. And he had to follow it to a T. So tonight, church, God's people, again, if you're here, you're in this service, whether you're a member of the church or not. If you're saved by God's grace, he wants to use you, no matter if you're a member here or not. There is no excuses just because you're visiting. But what there is is satisfaction in the Lord. And that's what we need tonight. I don't know about you, but I'm a little uneasy. I am. I truly am. I told my wife earlier I said this week's fly- flying by. It's already Wednesday. It's already Wednesday night. And have you seen what you wanted to see yet? Are you where you wanted to be at yet? What's us? What's us? I'll tell you, it's probably a three letter word. Let's see. Isaiah told him your sin has separated between you and your God that he will not have you. So it's time to clean the slate. It's time that we come to him. It's time that we serve him in whatever capacity that would be to honor and glorify him. And we get over the hump and we move on into the promised land. And we know what true revival is. I don't just want a good service. I want revival. I want to be revived. Don't you? It's found at his feet. I've said way too much, been too long. I'm going to put it back in your hands.